We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And uh, this is the first time we've recorded since AD is out, right? He's probably out through the All-Star break. Uh, we will see, but that that seems to be the expectation. So Lakers beat Minnesota last night in the first of those nine games between now and the end of the first half of the schedule. Second half is still to be determined. Um, and it becomes a matter of how do you replace Anthony Davis? And the qu- the answer to that, of course, is you don't. Uh, Mike, you always do that that hit right before the jump ball and before the Minnesota game. You're talking about uh, you know Vogel and, and his I- idea of like how do you replace uh, Anthony Davis and what that means. So I'm I'm just curious your thoughts on that and you know what Vogel had to say on in AD's absence. Kind of how do we proceed over these next eight games to kind of get the most both short term and long term out of the team. Yeah, Pete. So the obvious solution, if there's a solution, or at least in the short term, is to me is LeBron. Like that, he you still have LeBron James. You still, you still have the best player in the game. You still have the guy that's going to go out there and go for 30, 13, and 7 on a random February night in Minnesota on 13 of 20 shooting. So that's like the that's the short answer. Everybody else can play out to him. But I think the the more interesting part for me. Has, is tied less to AD being out in this specific situation and more to the defending champion, all-star break, kind of like dog days, right? And just the general lack of that full pop and energy uh, that, we be, with, that we've been seeing and I'm sure has been frustrating Darius uh, specifically. 
And like, I think the solution for that is the new blood is the new guys. And we saw that last night. We saw Harold step up. We saw Shooter step up. We saw Marcus Saul have a better game. And we saw Wes Matthews, you know, come in and, and play pretty well on defense, hit a three. He didn't have as many offensive opportunities, but it just seems like some of the guys from last year and, and most notably KCP, you know, just aren't, aren't quite um, at that energy level that we've seen them in the past. And, and this is why I think you made those roster changes to help paper over some of it. And I would love to see that continue while AD is out more Shooter, more Harold. You know, in, in Marcus all, please take more threes, you know, to get more involved in, in that. So that would be it, it starts with LeBron. But then I do like these new guys um, going and using this opportunity to put their stamp further on this team. You know, so one of the things, Mike, and I, and I agree with that. And I think my frustration level has been up and down to a certain extent. I want the team to play better. A lot of times that can be synonymous with playing harder or playing with more focus. But sometimes I just want these open threes to fall, right? Like so many of these games look different if they're shooting league average on threes instead of shooting 29%. Two or three more made threes a game, that's six, nine points, not to mention like what that opens up for the team in terms of um, more single coverage on drives or post-ups or the types of angles that you generate for your offense to find um, attack lanes in terms of replacing ad like pete you and i uh, like over the course of the history of this pod like one of my big ideas has been about slotting right and i actually feel like one of the issues the lakers have had this year is that they've taken players who have typically been up a slot and downslotted them Mm. and finding that comfort level in that new role with teammates that are as dynamic as LeBron and Anthony Davis that takes some adjusting to mentally that then impacts your game and then what are you going to do with it I think that you don't replace AD obviously but I think his absence allows players to probably play up to the slot that they've played in throughout 100% um, more of their career right so Dennis Schroeder has, has traditionally been a second or a third option right and now he's been sort of a 3A or 3B option on this team most nights Harrell and even though he's been a six man has played almost like a second option right because he's been a pick and roll partner um especially in his last two years with the clippers that got a lot of touches and had offense built around an action that he was a fulcrum in right and mark gasol has also been a starter and has been asked to score more than what he's been asked to score during his time with the lakers so i think Slotting them up a position probably helps them get into a a better groove. I think we saw that against the Timberwolves. Now, I'll be interested in seeing how the Lakers do against a more seasoned and adjust ready defense than what Minnesota offered. But I thought that game against the Wolves did sort of offer a template for what you would want the Lakers to do in terms of replacing, quote unquote, Anthony Davis. Yeah, I to your point, there was a degree of decisiveness, uh, particularly in Schroeder and Mark's games, that I 
there was that one play where toward the end of the first half, I believe, where Schroeder gets Cat switched on him and Cat really struggled to stay in front of Schroeder in that game. And so he gets Cat switched on him and he did that whole at the park thing when a guard gets a bigger guy that he doesn't think can guard him. You know, he gets the switch, pulls it all the way back. Everybody clear out, right? And and he he sends someone out to the weak side. I think it was Kuz. I'm not sure who. Uh, Mark pops out to the corner. And Truder's kind of directing traffic. LeBron flashes from the, the weak side on a duck-in, on a post-up. Like, ball, ball, ball. And Truder's like, no, no, no. I got this, right? And he clears LeBron back out. LeBron goes back out to the weak side. Truder makes a move, drives, racks toward baseline from the wing. Draws the help defender from Mark, kicks it right out to Mark. Mark doesn't hesitate at all and lets it fly, right? And knocks it down on a corner three. That play right there, I thought, illustrated a degree of decisiveness from both of those players that speaks to that idea of slotting up, not a position like in terms of point guards, shooting guards, small forward, but in terms of pecking order on on offense. There's, and that gets, that brings me to Mark. I've been wanting to talk to you guys about Mark for a while. Cause I think that, that for as wonderful as his passing can be, I think that he needs to be a baseline scoring threat. I think that, and this is true of anybody, right? Where if to, you either have to like the baseline of, of what a guy needs to bring on a, on offense, in my opinion, is you either have to be able to finish consistently around the rim, which Mark doesn't have the capability of, of doing really at this point of his career, or you need to be able to hit standstill threes. Now, anything else within that, uh, and I'm talking as an individual scorer, Mark had been on a bit of a cold streak from three and in that teams had really been sagging off of him. He'd been open on a lot of those threes of, of that 29% that you've been talking about D it's like Mark's is, Mark is open at the top of the key and they're letting him take that shot. And because if you sag, because if you press up on Mark, you open up passing lanes for him and he needs to be. And so he was assertive Mike in a way that I think is really important. And now that's the thing in to Darius's point about everybody being kind of slotted up is Mark is used to having offense run through him. And we do that to an extent, but not nearly as often as they did in Toronto, certainly not as often as his Memphis years. Right. And so in terms of Mark finding his way, he's not somebody you typically think of as replacing AD, of course, because they're so different in in a lot of aspects. But I'm curious what you thought of Mark's game and what you think Mark's adjustment is going to be in this stretch of time where AD is going to be out. Yeah, so the the point that I think is the what I see the most in games, and I'm I have the my eyebrow gets raised is when he gets the ball in the paint. And he can be right at the rim and he's still he's still just not looking to score that because it, he doesn't mm-hmm. have that lift, you know, to finish. And that's the part that defenses are seeing on film and they're sort of they're fine with and or encouraging him, him to catch the ball in those situations. And it's a weird thing because you don't want to completely take that out because there are certain times where you want that big man, that five just crashing to the rim by instinct. But I, I, I guess he can. He can make up for that by being more aggressive from three, um, by doing the quick catch and shooting, by hitting a couple per game, which he will. And like I, I still I thought his defense overall was pretty good. And I wouldn't directly yeah. correlate it with with Towns. Uh, you know, Towns, it was kind of an odd like Towns only took 10 shots and I think it was two in the second half. And that's more on Towns than on anybody else. But Mark gets a little bit of credit for that for and he played 30 minutes. So Harold only played 18 minutes. And I think you would have assumed, especially oh, wow. Harold's, yeah. like look at Harold's production. Harold had 17 points, 
six boards, like three assists, a block of steel. He was everywhere, but he only played 18 minutes. You would think that his minutes would have ramped up. And instead, Frank kind of stuck with Mark and, and it worked right in, in the ways that he was and he playing. mirrored he mirrored Kat's minutes in a lot of that time, right? Like yeah. Kat would come back in the game. Oh, let's go get Mark. Put him back in. And, and Kat's a, Darius, Kat's a weird matchup into for Gasol because in some senses Cat is one of the few who is a stretch five and also a at the rim five like he really doesn't have an offensive weakness in that instance it's not even like Embiid because Embiid you're you're thrilled if he takes the threes even though he can make one once in a while because he's so devastating down low in yeah. such a size mismatch whereas Cat you really don't want him taking a bunch of threes because like he's a high volume did you guys know this says more about the Timberwolves he has made more threes than any Timberwolf in franchise history cat already that's unbelievable and this is what it's sixth or seventh year yeah it's it's, it's, it tells you about the current era it also tells you about their lack of having a good guard um really ever stay there for more than a couple years uh you know you had like marbury you had sam gasell who was there for like two years anyway i I won't go down that rabbit hole yeah no i remember troy hudson killing us yeah yeah but darius give me your give me your gasol uh gasol takes please i'm here for them so let me just say that in my game prep for the Timberwolves game, Towns' shot volume has been lower since his return from COVID than I anticipated. It's been, he's been super efficient. So he's like, oh, look at Towns. He went eight for 13. He went nine for 15. But it's just like, okay, well, where's the 20 shot attempt Towns, right? And, and so this was abnormally low, 12 or whatever number of field goals that, that he took. But they've got some hungry guards out there in Minnesota that, that like to eat a little Anthony bit. Edwards is not shy, is he? No, no, no. He was. Yeah, Beasley. Beasley will get him up too. Yeah. Well, Edwards had a great game yeah. too. Anyways, back to Mark. Mike, where I would, I don't want to say disagree I want Mark to be aggressive in the paint more. I want him to look for his shot. We talk about Mark being like sort of this basketball genius. Pete, you've used that term before. Mike, you've, you've used it to describe Gasol before too. And, and I'm 100% on board with that. When you're a basketball genius in that way, it can lead you to be someone who is doing a lot of like, and I've made this comp before, but calculations and probabilities like in your mind, mm-hmm. right? Like, like I've made the comparison to like a poker player, right? You're playing no limit. And then here's the cards that are on the table, right? Okay, the fourth card, the turn just came out. And I know what I have based off of the habits of the guys around the table. I can guess what they have. And these are the probabilities that I now have to win this hand, right? And that's how they make decisions on whether or not they're going to bet or how much and yada, yada, yada. Mark, I feel like, especially when Anthony Davis is with the team, I think that he's almost always thinking about the probability of us creating a better shot, a shot that's going to create a higher probability of success than the shot that Mm -hmm. I'm about to take, then my opportunity is better. Or even if it's neutral or even slightly worse, he might think, with the sort of unselfish brain that he thinks with that it's going to be better for me to move the ball here or not take this shot. We can get something better. We have LeBron, we have Anthony Davis, we have Dennis Schroeder, we've got Montrezl Harrell. All of that calculus is going through Gasol's brain and it's happening in an instant. And he's making these pass shot decisions and they're turning into pass decisions for him. I would like him to mentally 
lock in on making determinations like, no, I need to shoot more, regardless of whether or not these shots fall, right? Because Pete, the idea of being a baseline threat offensively is not always going to be about success rate, right? Like there was this long, there was this article that- Do I I have to guard you? Do I have to guard you? So we've talked about this a bunch like in the past, but the idea of gravity as a three-point shooter, gravity is not, does not correlate as much to success rate as it does to volume, right? And so you can shoot 50% from three, but if you're Alex Caruso and you take two threes a game, guess what? The closeout's not coming hard to you. You're Alex Caruso. You shoot two three-pointers a game. We don't anticipate you taking that shot. Whereas if you're Kyle Kuzma and you shoot 32%, not this season, right? but in the past, but he's shooting seven threes a game or eight threes a game. Well, guess what? That's a shot that we expect you to take. We're going to offer a certain baseline of defensive attention to you just based off the fact that that's a shot we expect you to take. Mark needs to start taking more of these shots in order to occupy defenders, in order to make the defense start to react to him a little bit more. And he's good enough, guys to like make these shots too. That little fade away eight, 10 foot shot that he shoots in the paint, shoot that shot. I don't care if it goes in or not, shoot it, right? Duck in a little bit more, just draw fouls. Mark is so good that when he shows on the three pointer, he also has, he has understanding attack front foot on closeout. He will draw fouls if not shooting fouls and just regular on ball fouls that will help the team. And so I hope to see him with AD out, especially take more ownership of offensive responsibilities that go beyond just floor spacing and passing. It's Pete. I want to turn this back to you for a second. It's just, it's such an interesting thought to me because Marcus Saul doesn't need to be told sort of how to play offense, but Darius has a lot of good points there. And I'm almost thinking when he has that ball, if he's, let's say he gets a a catch in the paint uh, in whatever kind of action, and you can fill that in. It's just he could so easily just flip a little hook, you know, or just a little like Jokic type push out. Like he doesn't have to take a bounce and take it to the rim. He's so big that he's going to be able to hold a defender off, but he's just not in that mindset, you know. So that's the thing to me that's is that Mark Mark doesn't seem to be a guy that you, you know, pull into the foam session and are kind of like because he's so smart and he's so cerebral that it seems it's harder for a coach or for whoever to go over and be like, hey. We want you to take the whatever kind of shot you can in the paint there. So I don't know how you approach that, but it's it's I agree with you guys about the theory of it. And yeah, if he had some more of that in his game, it would definitely help the offense. Mike, just just to chime in there. I thought he did it last night. I thought that he was more aggressive. And so that's why I'm saying that the Timberwolves game was a good template moving forward, because I thought all of the players made a decision within their heads and said, There is more food on the table. AD is on vacation this week. So now I get an extra portion and I'm going to take advantage of that. Go ahead. And there are players that are, there are players that are used to, uh, having that seat at the table, right? Like being slotted one position up a little bit closer to the head of the table. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I, okay. I want to talk quick, thought, quick, uh, yeah, yeah. Re- quick to wrap up. Apologize. Quick to wrap up Gasol though. So he only took two shots in the paint and he missed them both, right? He had three mm-hmm. threes and then he had the one, uh, it was basically like a free throw line jumper. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Slash push out thing. So I, I agree the mentality. He took more shots, but he but he the paint stuff is where, you know, can he get more of those? That's all. Yeah, let's let's take a break and talk about that when we come back, because I think this is an interesting conversation because I think Mark fits within what we do. If if it's a certain scenario, if not like it, finding his respective place on this team, whether AD's in the lineup or not, is one of the the big uh not challenges, but one of the most important things that I think can happen between now and the regular season. So let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll get more into Mark because I think he's a really uh, very rich and, and interesting topic to to discuss. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests Then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com backslash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. So when we talk about Mark as a basketball genius, I think uh, I want to get more into that idea of like, what does that mean? Right. Like, and so basketball has theory to it, just like music has theory to it, just like architecture, just like anything in which that is a human endeavor. There's a a certain degree of, uh, you know, schools of thought um, and how to approach things and then how to approach scenarios. I'm, I'm thinking about basketball more and more through a couple of different lenses is one is basketball in a lot of ways is about mastering scenarios and the ability to read. This is what the defense is in. This is what offensively counters that defense. And then do you have the skill set to be able to capitalize upon that within that idea of having the skill set to capitalize on it? I've been thinking of offensive players through three different uh, kind of categories, I guess. There's your advantage creators, 
your advantage extenders and then your advantage capitalizers, those who can finish the play, right? And some players are all three, right? Like a LeBron James is an advantage creator. He can extend it an advantage and he can capitalize in, on it. Mark is a can be an advantage creator with his passing, and he can be an advantage extender with his passing and his and, and so like passing like a swing pass for example. There's a play against uh, Denver the other night, the game we lost, where LeBron threw a pass to Caruso, and Caruso swung it over to the corner to Kuz. Kuz attacked the rim and got a dunk off of it from the corner. And I was going through the film and the ball was in Caruso's hands for, for four frames. I edited at a 20, 24 frame frame rate. So you're talking one sixth of a second, the ball is in his hand. So they blitz LeBron on this pick and roll. That's where the advantage is created, right? And because you got two guys on the ball, the ball gets swung over to Caruso. Caruso is an elite advantage extender, right? That it touches his hands for one sixth of a second before it's out in perfect position to coos meaning that that closeout that w- and that advantage that was already created by lebron is now even more of an advantage they can't get to coos in time coos finishes and capitalizes on that play right and this is where mark that that capitalizing becomes particularly important i actually think at this point in his career if we're going to use mark down in the post d i think it's more as like a draymond or yeah Iguodala yes type, as a, a fulcrum of like let's run split cuts let's yes. run yes all that the, the speed all that. cuts all of that stuff right like those and then if the space clears out like those would be plays where where Draymond or Iggy, they'd be like the fourth option on that play. Now, we don't have Stephen Clay, right, running off of screens. I don't want to act like that. But I think that if we're running offense through Mark, then that's the place to put him down low. But otherwise, I think that his advantage capitalization is primarily in as a perimeter player as a as a shooter right as somebody who can swing the ball as somebody who can have the ball at the top of the key and if they're ball denial on Schroeder they don't want him to get it it's that back cut for the layup right but um I'm, I'm curious more I'm curious your thoughts D about like how to incorporate within what we do uh incorporating Mark more and more into scenarios that because i think he's a guy where like we i think we've got him in the dunker spot too much yes right like he's not a dunker right and like it's it's called that for a reason so just like where can we get more out of what mark does well because mike's right he doesn't need to be taught how to play basketball he understands all those scenarios he's mastered all of the scenarios i think sometimes he's a little bit uh, can outthink himself and pass up an open shot but like how do we get him the the best out of marcus on the offensive end the example that you said, I think, is a perfect example. Post him up in that AD spot, run that handoff series off of him where it's the speed cut baseline where he can then very Sabonis, Portland Sabonis, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Savas, where you run that speed cut off, off of him and instead of the handoff, you let the guard clear all of the way and then you turn and then you dump it over, right? Right. And that's going to be to Schroeder, to KCP. That's going to be the Schroeder, to KCP. Shit, man, it could be to LeBron James, right? Like, I want more same-side action between Mark and LeBron because their brain chemistry, they are wired and on the same page so easily, 
right? Like they are very much a mind meld duo where they read the game the same way. It's one of the reasons why we've always talked about LeBron and Caruso, right? Being such a good pairing. It's because their intellect and their understanding of what the right play is, is almost always exactly the same way. And so look, dump it into Gasol, left side block, and run post splits, but run them with LeBron and KCP, right? Where you act like you're going to open up KCP for that wing three, but he cuts back door. And now it's Braun, who is the high man with Mark, right? And so then Mark can dump it back out. And then you go right into pick and roll action between him and LeBron, which then can be a pick and pop, right? I also right. want they did that a lot with Schroeder. They did had a lot of Schroeder Mark pick and rolls yesterday too. And also too, like I want to see Mark actually pick and roll a little bit more rather than picking and popping and roll not to be a scorer but to do the spray out pass right because he is such a good passer that you get him into short roll opportunities potentially and he's such a huge target that you can then dump it over the top to him and then he can spray to either corner or kick back to the wing. I think that a lot of the stuff that the Lakers are doing with Mark is two-dimensional stuff, and he is super good at that stuff, but some of it is going to have to start to be three-dimensional, right? Where it's more than just one read. It's more than just, oh, let me hand off or turn and kick, right? Some of it is going to have to be get me into the middle of the floor where it's option here in one corner, option there in one corner, and option opposite side skip. And let's see how the defense handles that. And in that example, Pete, he is the fourth option himself as the scorer, right? And so if none of those passes are open and he's at the free throw line area, then let him then turn power dribble in and then pivot away and shoot that little fade or just shoot the flat-footed jumper right off of that because you know that his man is probably not pressuring him. There's more stuff to involve him as a potential scorer to put him in threatening positions that I think that's how you get more out out of him. It's it's because you then leverage his strengths by putting him in positions to be more of a threat, not because he's going to be a scorer, but because the defense has to react to him. If So a lot of really good points there about Gasol. And as you were talking, Darius, it, it had me thinking we could probably do this type of discussion about four or five other guys on the Lakers about how like hundred percent Montrose Harrell could do more. Here's how they could do it. Schroeder could do more. Here's where they can get on the ball. And, and you guys are, that's one of the things you guys do better than anybody is break down the specific set. So the way that I think about it is the coaching staff, Frank Vogel and his coaches, and um, especially sort of some of the younger guys on the staff that are going through all of the, the film and going through the tape and the opponents, they, they have so many options and so many ways to attack. Uh, and that's, Part of that is not because AD is out, but it also, since they have so many, none of them are essential in order for them to get wins. Right. And like, so what's, it's just interesting as you think about this roster moving forward and that's why they're so good. So my, my concern is less about these type of situations uh, in X's and O's and getting Gasol and it, which, which again is all true. It's more about just finding a way to keep energized 
amidst the pandemic, amidst these empty arenas, amidst uh, guys getting fatigued. And they've been doing okay at that. I think that's going to be the bigger challenge than sort of the X's and O's. They can work hand in hand, maybe. Like maybe if you get guys more excited about the X's and O's, hey, let's have you do this today, Trez. Let's, um, I think that can sort of mitigate some of it. But when I'm watching these games still in that first quarter, I'm kind of thinking, all right, when are they going to put the hammer down? Do they need to? And and that's the, the, the song and dance, Pete, that I always have when I'm watching. I'm so glad you brought this up because I actually think that in some ways, AD being out is an opportunity in that so much of our margin for error is gone with him out of the lineup, right? There's less of that, like, you know, if we get down, if we're down 10 with eight minutes left in the fourth, like, we're still good, right? And so I think that this... Like if we don't play with a sense of urgency for more of the game than we did with AD and we're going to lose, especially we've got a a tough schedule coming up, right? So I think that this is a decent period of time for us to see a more focused version of the Lakers uh, than than we have in in the past, at least for longer stretches of the game, right? So I think that in some ways, like I'm starting to see Keith thaw out a little bit, right? Like Keith is, you know, he hit a few shots in last night's game. He, but even more than that, like he got to a couple of loose balls and then he got stripped of them, right? Like we had a bunch of turnovers and, it, but him, like it's an opportunity for him. It's an opportunity for Wes. I actually think it's time for THT to go back out of the rotation and keep it at nine with Wes and Keith in there. And that's something that Vogel did in the second half. I think that uh, the lineups that we have on the court is we had a in the second quarter there was a lineup where you know obviously ad's out but lebron wasn't on the court schroeder wasn't on the court i think maybe trez was but we didn't have uh and mark wasn't on the floor right trez was but mark wasn't so we didn't have any like offensive organization and tht was in there and they went on a run they went on on over the course of two minutes it was like an 11-0 run and we didn't see tht for the rest of the game and so i think that it's this is a good opportunity to kind of maybe tighten things up a little bit uh, and and play with a little more of a sense of urgency with Brooklyn coming up with Miami, who I know isn't playing well, but they're still a finals rematch. Um, we got Utah coming up. We've got a, a few good games coming up on the schedule before we get to the all-star break. And D, I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of to tighten things up and, and play with more of a sense of urgency, even if, you know, I'm not even talking like short terms wins or losses, but just like a mental readjustment in terms of how we're approaching this little stretch of the season. Yeah, so you never want to have any of your key players out for any extended amount of time. But if there's any silver lining in that, and I wouldn't even call it silver, right? It's like really faded and dingy. But it's the idea of integrating some of the guys back into the group and back into the lineup that you are going to need. And Vogel's a great communicator. I think it, it's it's... Like when you hear Wes sort of unprompted, like I credit my coaches in, in 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 keeping me abreast of like what my role is going going to be and being forthright. That's important. I think you could say the same about Keith. <clears throat> the thing that stood out to me about Keith wasn't just the shot making, Pete. It was there was a rotate. There was a defensive rotation where the Lakers were in scramble mode, and it reminded me a little bit of last season's team right? Where the rotations weren't set in stone, where you're, where you're automatic, where it's like shell drill 
type type stuff. It's just like, okay, well, you go here, I go there. My responsibility yeah, these are here. That have to be made in the moment. These I'm glad are, we're talking about this in AD's absence, right? Like the defensive end is going to be especially important. And and so I can't remember who was on the court with him. It might have been Wes and um, so Keith is on the floor. Wes probably Trez Kuz. It might have been LeBron as well. But the ball was on one side of the court. Minnesota was running a bunch of pick and pop actions, which was spreading the Lakers thin, right? And so there's a lot of switch or peel back decisions that you have to make when teams are running pick and pops. And the Lakers, I feel like this season have been very hit or miss with this very specific decision that they That's have right. to make. Giving up a lot of pop and yes, threes. Yeah. When the, the big man, it's pick and roll, right? The big man hedges to contain the ball handler. And then the Lakers guard is taught to go over the top and then chase the ball to provide back pressure or recover entirely so that the big man who had hedged could then recover back to his own man who is popping. But opponents are getting very used to this idea for the Lakers and guards are stringing out their dribble much further in order to draw that defensive attention away from the popping big. And at some point, there is a point of no return when you're the guard who is in trail position. And you either need to stay and call out mine, right? Like, this is mine. You need to get your ass back. Or you need to peel off and switch, basically, and get back. And this was an example where the guard got strung out too far, nothing happened, and the ball was kick, kicking back out. So then that puts the Lakers in the full-on rotation now. Like, that big is open at the top, top of the key. Keith was on one side of the floor, and every subsequent rotation, when it went kick back out to the big, okay, there's someone rotating there. Swing, swing, right? And so it goes from top of the key to the shoulder area to the corner. Keith busted his ass to get all the way to the corner in order to shut down that three-point attempt which was very much like a houston series rotation right five five out spacing mm -hmm. you've got to get mm -hmm. on your horse you've got to get to the corner and we do not want to give up that corn corner three you know how i know that keith was engaged this game versus his first game back is is because of that specific defensive rotation when you looked at keith's first game back Right when he got put back in to the rotation when AD missed the game and then Caruso was out as well. He had so many defensive mistakes that game yep. that it was it was just blatantly obvious that he was not as tuned in to the game plan as he needed to be, even as a starting player. And so now all of those things with AD now out for an extended period, this isn't going to be a like, okay, you may play one game, you may come come back out. Like, no. We lost a big man. You're next yeah, up. Yeah, keeps gonna play. Yeah, and you're one of the yeah. next guys up, right? And so it's important that all of these guys start to get their reps. They start to get their idea of I need to play. I need to raise raise my game. And like I said, you never want to see a guy go out, especially a player as important as 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 AD. But the silver lining is you bring these other guys back into the fold and get them engaged in in a way that reactivates their mindset about what they need to do to be a contributing player on a team that's still expected to win games. And Vogel is not led up there, right, Mike? Like he is saying, 
I like my guys. I like who I'm going to war with. Like we have enough to win. Yeah, he he said that literally uh, after the game. And I in part of part of what you're talking about with Keith, Vogel has has been very careful to and not careful in like a, a scared way, careful in a wanting to show confidence in Morris by constantly praising him. And that like he he doesn't talk about him like he's this eleventh you know, player and you know, like he's he sort of thought of on this specific roster. He talks about him like he's like, you guys keep he's a really, really good basketball player. Almost to the point where you guys aren't realizing this because he's not in there enough. And because you know, we got him last year and he wasn't playing that much. He's like, you guys, I don't know if you guys realize this. Like I can use him on both sides of the court. He's good. And Frank Frank mm-hmm. did this all last year with Rondo when there were questions about Rondo. And, and he'll do it if KCP if KCP's shooting slump continues. And that's a whole nother podcast, right? Uh, f- trying to figure out what's oh, going on with KCP. So that is something yes, that 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 I think Frank is ideally suited for with this roster. Um, and Morris is a good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's somebody that you know. I was a, when we got him, I was I was like, hey, Keith can play, right? He's got a there's a versatility to his game. I think that these. I think there's some opportunity as a small ball five. I think that's probably his best position. Um, but with Mark and when AD's healthy and Trez, there's not a lot of small ball five minutes. But you and you spoke to this, right? Like Vogel trusts Markeith Morris and knows that he can he can go to him. But there's also a certain degree. Of, I think that that quick turnaround. I think Keith was one of the players that was impacted most by that. This is something I noticed too in the bubble when we first got there in those seeding games, which, you know, weren't particularly important to the Lakers. And it was kind of getting everybody back on track track. Like when Keith doesn't have his legs, it is, you, you ever see that gift areas of the guy just like flinging it off the backboard? Like his shots ain't close, man. It's not like he's back rimming, front rimming. It's ugly. He's struggling to get to lose balls, struggling to relocate. And that happened in the seeding games, right? When Keith and Keith uh, missed the beginning part. Yeah, he was late, that, right? He was late to the bubble. He was late. So he comes in a couple games into the seeding games and he just chuck They just clanking all over the place. Right. And then but you see him saw him kind of knocking that rust off and getting it back. And I'm starting to see that with him uh, as well. And he's a he's a good player. Like he's not he's not you know, he's got got his flaws, but he can make a good post entry pass. He uh, understands his rotations. He's strong um, while being able to stretch the floor. He was a lottery pick, man. Like, I know it was a long time ago, and he's an established veteran in this league now. He was considered on par or the better prospect than his brother, right? And his brother just signed a four-year, $64 million contract. Now, Marcus has probably evolved more as, like, an individual scoring threat and, and more of an offensive threat. But you can't tell me that... They're so divergent now as talents where one is making $16 million a year and one is a minimum level player. Their talent is probably still much closer than their salaries would indicate. Markeith can play, man. Like The thing is, is that the way that the Lakers use him is that if his shot is not falling, then it makes it trickier, right? Because he is basically slotted into a very specific type of role now he may get a post duck in every once in a while he may run pick and roll with like a smaller player they get a switch and now he's got a guard on him he can punish that guy down low there will be other opportunities besides just spacing the floor but 
a big thing for him is last night he made three of his four threes or whatever it was, right? And so if the shot is falling, then he's so valuable to this team because it pushes a six-point lead to a nine-point lead, right? It turns a two-point deficit in well, 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 into a one-point lead, or it breaks a game open that is 12 or 13 points to, to 15 or 16 points, and now suddenly you're like, how are we going to come back down 16 to a Lakers team that has LeBron James to to close us out. And if there's one place I wanted to sort of pivot this this conversation with with AD out, it's the importance of shooting. Now I don't want to get too much into KCP at this point cuz just like Mike said that's a whole different pod, but the Lakers need to get back, man, to being at least a league average shooting team from behind the arc. Both of you guys talk to me. Is this just missing the open shots or do you think that this team could be doing a little bit more to free up some of their shooters in order to get them better looks in rhythm um, to sort of bring back some of that confidence that has clearly like seeped away a little bit? I think it's a mostly we're missing open shots, right? Like it by and large, we're getting good looks. I'm happy with the attempts that we're getting. And I think that legs and, uh, you know, the, the focus and energy level that we've been talking about throughout the season, I think, you know, that's caught up with the team a bit. So I think we've shot particularly poorly on the same shots we've been generating that we were generating at the beginning of the season. And we were right at the top of the league from behind the arc. Those aren't falling. We do need to talk about KCP within this topic, though, because he is the shooter with which the starting lineup is built around, right? Like so many, even if they're not your best player, like an, a, a shooter that can come off of screens is the basis for a lot of half-court actions. They are the first option, right? And so KCP really being cold as he's been, and this has been the first stretch, like to me, KCP is beyond reproach from an effort standpoint right like throughout this is his fourth year with the team and there have been very very few periods of time where i'm like kcp isn't playing hard and this stretch recently he's been hasn't been sprinting up court and that's why actually i was actually encouraged by the minnesota game in that i he got a couple of full speed layups in transition which like he wasn't sprinting up the floor and this is something he's never like that was the great thing about kcp he'd always run hard right he'd always fill his lanes always fill corner always get out on the break and he did that in in last night's game and got two two buckets off of that he just clanking everything from behind the arc he's a guy mike that historically when he kind of struggles he's somebody that i think kind of tries to do too much um but in our starting lineup if kcp is not hitting his and I'm talking open corner threes right he even hesitated on one where he, he shot faked and thought a guy was gonna fly by and didn't fly by it he's like oh shit he still took it and, yeah. and he he missed that right he's, he seems a little bit in his head right that's kind of the and and that I think is a big uh a central part of why we're struggling from three yeah so let's do a I'll, I'll try to do a quick summary of KCP here and that moment Pete specifically it's a little harder to tell on the tv but what I saw was LeBron went over to him after that, so there was a the kickout pass in KCP. The first one in, that LeBron spoke to, instead of just shooting it, he pump faked, waited for the defender to fly by, and then waited another beat and sort of just shot it. And instead of just his typical, the, the, what you love about KCP, that catch, boom, it's up, like the no conscious um, type. Which, Let it fly. Which yeah. like 10 years ago, 
was not as advised in the NBA, but now is, you know, is seen as a strength for certain guys. Like when Nick Young would do it, you'd be like, what are you doing, Nick? Because that was a little bit out of context of the way that the rest of the team plays. Now the teams are kind of expecting that shot. If he doesn't take it, it's impacting the offensive class. It's impacting transition D. It's impacting rhythm, right? All of the things that we discuss in, in depth here. And so I think that part of the reason why, though, Derek Fisher actually touched on before the game on the Spectrum pregame show. And I I sort of circled the point in my imaginary notebook uh, when he said it. And in fact, kind of want to follow up with him about it. But his the basic way that he was describing this was after you win a championship, there is a point of the season where you just get tired. You're, it's your legs. It's your mind. It's all of these things. And there are a couple guys, and I mean a couple like Kobe and LeBron, who seem impervious to that, who are so strong mentally that they don't buy that like they don't play that lebron said i don't i don't play tired i don't that's not my thing and i think that guys that haven't been through it before whether that's ad or kcp at the at one end of the talent spectrum and you know and not at the other end but sort of more in the middle of the pack those guys are feeling that this year and that's why when i started this pod that that's why shooter and harold and gasol like these guys they don't have that same level of mental fatigue they don't have that same level of physical fatigue and that's to me what's going on with KCP. It's not some kind of lack of confidence in its game. It's kind of like, man, I, I put so much into last season. Did you, you guys saw me, right? I was rinsing up the court every time. I put everything into it, and, and I started the season with that same rhythm. And then here we are. It's still February. The playoffs are still far away. And that's that's what I think it is with KCP. There, I'm sure there are some basketball-specific points to it as well, but I think it's more of a mental, a mental convincing yourself that it's a physical thing with him. Yeah, I see it more like he's in his head now. So why is it his head though? Yes, yeah, they are. And you took the words right out of my mouth, Mike. That my bad. No, no, because I think that it's an important. Like, there's a distinction, but it's all related, right? Because I do think that all the fatigue and and all of the big picture stuff can get into your mind and like, man, we're in February. I think it was a pot a couple of years ago, Pete, where we were just like, man, this team really needs the all star break. Right. Like like they need it. They just need it to come already because they need this this time off. And um, I think that speaks to your point, Mike, and probably the point that that D Fish was making before the game is that it's February, man. Like these games have been coming every other day like it's the playoffs and the team's not practicing. So things don't look as sharp. Like we talked all this X's and O stuff earlier. Guess what? You can't implement that without a practice. You're not going to just say like, you're not going to just draw that up on, well, on the grease board and say, all right, guys, tonight we're running this. But for a player like KCP who has had his ups and downs and, and has had to sort of crawl out of, of these holes in the past, I think that this one's a little bit deeper for him and it's probably a little bit deeper for all of the reasons that you mentioned, Mike. But when he is, he, a thing that I see from, from him is that he is making up his mind early that something isn't going to work or that he's like mm. getting ahead of himself. Right. And, and so that's kind of like that passing up that corner three. Right? Yes, like, he's he, he thinks mm-hmm. the guy is going to fly by, right? Like I'm open, but I'm only this open. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I play this out in my head. I see the movie, uh, 
like in my mind right now. I'm going to pump fake. You're going to fly by. I'm going to step right and I'm going to shoot this wide, wide open three. Or you see it right side wing, right? He makes a catch and he's like, oh, this guy is going to close out on me. I'm hard dribbling left, right? And guess what? Like he is making these decisions earlier and then he puts his head down to drive left. And guess what? The defender is standing right in front of him. And he's just like, holy shit. Like defender didn't yeah, close like, out as hard like, as he expected him. This to. guy yeah. didn't close out or, or the game is sped up for him in, in a certain way. And, and when I say that he's in his head, Mike, that's the kind of stuff that, that I mean is, is that I think there's a confidence issue. The shots not been falling, but he's also playing himself in the poor in in into poorer situations than what he had at the outset and all of that's related and so i don't know how to get kcp out of of some of this stuff but you're right pete like within the context of this idea of shooting and the starting lineup he they need to find some other ways to get him going a little bit um is there anything schematically that you would shift up for him no, 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 no. KCP's got very specific uh, actions that are built around what he does well. I'd love to see him maybe in that, in a, maybe he doesn't get a ton of run with Trez, but maybe that handoff play that we would run with him and Dwight last year, that horns handoff, right? Where we'd get KCP on the run going middle with that option to, to rack it, to pull up or to throw the lob, right? Trez is less of a lob guy than Dwight is. He's more of a, a windows guy. I'm actually making a, a video on this, but KCP, like I actually think a, a I don't make many predictions. I think we're a game or two away from a KCP breakout game. I think that I was really encouraged by last night. Like he was really trying to knock the rust off. And I think the biggest part of that is run. Like that's what he does best. He's a speed player and he was really running the court. Uh, the, the shot wasn't falling, but I think that's the first thing to kind of knock that off and to get out of this hole is to really get out into transition. So um, before we, before we wrap up uh, really quickly, wanted to, we got the Brooklyn game coming up, right? And uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on your guys' thoughts. I think there are there are two teams in the NBA that could beat us in a seven-game series, barring some major injury. Obviously, we'd need AD, right? But uh, Brooklyn and the Clippers. I'm not saying they would be favored. I think the Lakers would be favored in either. But I think playing one of those teams for the first time, especially you know if Harden and Kyrie and and uh, and KD all play. Um, it's a fun matchup. I, Mike, I'm really looking forward to seeing our, I, unfortunately, AD's out, but like our perimeter defense versus their perimeter offense is one of the coolest basketball matchups. And it is the coolest basketball matchup for me in the NBA, it, especially, again, if AD played like you're talking absolute elite, uh, like the best at that particular part of the game, like kind of Clash of the Titans type of style. But I'm curious, Mike, what are you looking for in this in this Brooklyn game? After the Laker game ended, and I guess kind of during the game, I, so I had the Brooklyn, the way that my setup is at the Spectrum Studios is there's, uh, I've got a monitor with the live feed of the Laker game, and then there's two bigger TVs uh, in the background. And so I have one of them on the, on the TV feed so that I can kind of watch the replays, and then the other one I have on whatever the other game is. And so I had Brooklyn on, and I was, you know, it looked to be over, right? Phoenix was up 20 and kind of cruising. No Kyrie, no KD. And all of a sudden, you know, Tyler Johnson hits a three and, it, you know, it, it's Landry Shaman hits a three. It's getting closer. Harden's doing his stuff, DeAndre. And they're just playing free and excited. And, you know, the confidence is starting to swell. 
And they come all the way back, and Harden hits the step back three with about 30 seconds left to put them in front. And, and again, this is a team with Chris Paul and Devin Booker who should be one of the better get a bucket, get a good shot in the half court teams in the league. It's one of the reasons why before the season, I think all, all of us liked Phoenix. I had him as a potential top four, like maybe the four seed. I like him better than Utah. In fact, I still think I like him better than Utah. We'll save that for another thing. Ooh, uh, spicy. And yeah. Again, part of that's because of the crunch <laughs> we time. we got to talk about Utah in an upcoming yeah, Yes, Part of that's because of the crunch time stuff uh, specifically. Because uh, anyway, and so this now, I think they're going to get Kyrie back for sure. He, he had a sore back, but he looked fine. KD, I think, is going to be able to play as well. And this, t- so I just think that Brooklyn has such an emotional advantage in this game of like, all right, we've beaten all the other good teams. They beat the Clippers. Uh, they, I think they were, they're now seven or eight and no in national TV games, unless I'm missing one that they lost. And you know, they play to their competition for sure. Yeah. And like, they're, they're just going to be charging out there. Like Harden looks so refreshed. Now he, he's not the guy that the Lakers could kind of trap and really contain great in that Houston series right now, because you can't play him that same way because of Kyrie and because of Durant last year, in that series, Westbrook was the guy that was going to have to get the basketball. And what a, and Westbrook couldn't hit anything. We were okay with that. Yeah, and he couldn't hit anything, and nor, nor can he this year. And now, so it's just you can't play hard in the same way. He's more energized. He's not getting tired in fourth quarter. So I think without AD, Brooklyn's going to feel like they're the favorite. And to what extent is LeBron you know, going to want to really – uh, you know, throw out his best in this game. Like he doesn't have a point to prove. I don't think um, even though it's this new Brooklyn team, I think I, I could see this as a little bit more of, all right, let's, we're not a hundred percent right now. We're going to play, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I, this is maybe a downer take, but I don't see this as a clash of the Titans from the Lakers perspective. Whereas I do see it as that way from the Nets perspective. And it's going to be without the crowd. Um, it's going to be hard to match their emotional energy that they have coming in. You next, Pete. I want to hear your take. So I'm in terms of the clash of the Titans, it's more like our perimeter defense versus their perimeter offense that I'm intrigued by. Of course, with AD out, that's, you know, it's a it's a totally different story. But I I certainly agree. We don't have as much to prove. And I do think that how LeBron takes this game. So like I've I've loved watching LeBron this season because he is trying to find you've talked so much, Mike, about the absence of fans and trying to find that. And so I've seen LeBron talking to opponents benches, just like like somebody just talks, talk a little shit or just just be a little disrespectful in some way. And like I, he, LeBron's going to find it and, oh, and use it. Pete, in fuel. You saw you saw him doing the fake fans at the last the game of Staples Center when he, so he looked up into the so crowd good. and basically did like a like a Hulk Hogan or no, who is it? Is it Rick? Yeah, Hulk Hogan, where he does like the thing. Yeah. To his uh-huh. ear. Yeah, to the ear. He was basically yeah. doing that. And I asked him about it after the game and he kind of chuckled and he was like, look, you know, I like whatever. I, I think he actually tricked himself. This is how mentally strong he is. He like actually somehow yeah. convinced himself, right, that there were fans. I don't know. He's, he's on a different level. Bro, Kobe, Jordan, like this is what these guys do is they invent enemies to defeat, right? I've got some great audio that I can't share, but like after they won the title of you hear LeBron on a on a hot mic and like he's. He's to me, LeBron is trying to end some conversations. Right. And and uh, he is somebody who just like Jordan, just like Kobe is, will look for any type of motivation. And so I am curious that you've got this. A new challenger has emerged right in the Brooklyn Nets. If LeBron can get a W 
against them without AD, there's a certain statement that is there to potentially be made where, like, so for example, that first game we played against Denver, where we had that massive second half and we took a 12 point deficit and ended up winning by 20 something. There are certain games where I think that the opponent can walk away, walk away and be like, yeah, we're not, we don't have a chance of beating that team. And I don't think you're going to, you know, do that to Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden in the regular season. But I do, Darius, is there some degree of statement game? Like, no, we're not at full strength, but is there some degree of, yeah, there is, we are going to turn it up because this is the first time we're facing that team that in their, in their hearts and minds, they're like, yeah, we can beat this Lakers team in a seven game series. Like what is the value of trying to strip that belief away to whatever degree you're capable? Yeah. I don't think LeBron. So uh... I always get myself in trouble when I go down paths like that. So I'm going to take a step back is I don't envision LeBron feeling that way about this game. And I'm more on Mike's side when it comes to gotcha. this idea of look like this game matters. And then it doesn't matter at all. Right. Because LeBron and there's a part of me that thinks that LeBron's going to come out and he's going to play hard. And obviously, he's going to want to win the game, right? But I would envision this is much more like not this season, but like last season's opening night against the Clippers. Like, oh, yeah, like that's that's a big game, right? We want to win that game. And guess what? The Lakers didn't win. And then they just went about their business and then just kept playing basketball, right? And so I don't think there there is going to be behind the scenes i'm sure a little bit of that you know the stuff that jared dudley talks about in relation to certain opponents and wanting to get after it a little bit more but i don't think lebron is going to show that hand right and sort of wear that on his sleeve as if this Mm -hmm. actually does matter more the thing that i've come to appreciate so much about lebron is is his even keeledness that he plays with within the context of big picture stuff. Now, in the moment, he could get super excited about a play or what happened against the Cavs when somebody is talking Brooks, to him or uh-huh. Dylan Brooks, yeah. right? Yeah. There are these little moments that, that animate him a little bit more. But within the big picture, no one win, especially during the regular season, is, is outsized and no one lost is outsized to him. It's sort of, it's very workmanlike from a player who understands the work that you need to put in in order to win it all, right? And so, look, honestly, Mike, you thought you had a wet blanket take. I mean, my wet blanket take is, like, I could see Brooklyn come coming in here and kicking the Lakers' ass. Like, I just could. The Lakers... Pete, for all the like, oh, vaunted perimeter defense and like what the Lakers have, the Lakers perimeter defense has not been up to snuff lately. Like, like there have been McLaughlin, right, who looked like Kirkland Kendall Marshall to me, right? Like sort of like bald head and the beard. Like, like, <laughs> like who is this guy? But he was out there just bombing threes. Like all these guys – Almost every, we were playing too far off. Almost yeah. every team that I've seen the Lakers play, their their perimeter guys feel confident, and they don't necessarily feel confident because of like their individual matchup is super favorable to them. I think that they feel confident because the bigs behind them are not as active and not as much of a deterrent as it is when you have Anthony Davis back there who is locked in and ready to go. 
I would say they're they're confident because we're not mentally locked in because they ain't so confident when we do lock in and we're rotating and they can't get a shot up before the end of the 24 second. We are the number one rated defense in the league for a reason. And uh, and that's with taking large chunks of the game fairly casually, man. So I'm 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 with you 100 percent. I'm just saying that if Kyrie and James and KD are really in their bag, right, that where the Lakers are going to compete is not shutting off the faucet for them where they're going to compete. Certainly would not be where they're going to compete is how locked in are they defensively is, is Schroeder cooking, right? Are, Mm -hmm. are the Lakers making threes, right? Because then I think you tilt the game in a certain direction and that's where you can start to in the moment, put pressure on them in, in a way that that is interesting, but Brooklyn is never going to lack for confidence. They're never going to think they're out of a game. And I'll be very interested to see the chess match mentally of how specifically LeBron really, because I just don't anticipate him saying I'm going for this one. Like, I just don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it. Yeah, we're, we're aligned on that. And I, I think that this all ties back to the fact that the Lakers are not hunting this year. They are being hunted. They are the champions. Mm, these, great other, point. these other teams are, and that's just a mental reality for any sport, for any defending champion. Now, how do you get them to be the hunters? You get up by them on 12 at halftime, you know, and almost embarrass them to the point where like, all right, hold on. We're not Denver. You're not, you're not doing it this way. Cause we have, that's when the pride might start to kick in a little bit, but it's, it just is, it, it, it shows a really changing human nature to come out and punch first in a situation like this. And I, I also think part of the reason that you don't do it is because since you've been through the, and this is what Fish's point was, since you've been there the year before, you know, to get back to it, that you have to have, have some of that in reserve. And it's, it's why it's such a tricky mm-hmm. mental dance and why you need veterans in this situation, because there's a real kind of subtle and, uh, and thin balance between getting yourself mentally ticked up enough to win and we saw that in the home stretch, didn't we? Against the Thunder, against like, all right, can we fall down by 20 against and still win against Memphis? Yeah, okay, we can, we can. That's the dance that we're going to keep talking about <laughs> all year long. And this Brooklyn game, just because they got the new stars, I, the, LeBron is is going to do the whole, look, it's one game, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. Frank Vogel, same thing. They're going to try to win. They're going to try to have a good game plan, but they're not going to come out there like, all right, here we go. There's a night TNT. And, and again, watch the game. I will be, but just, I'm not expecting those crazy fireworks. If we get them great. Yeah. I expect this to be much more of a shootout where both teams are sort of just like feeling it a little bit offensively. And, and it's more of a, like, Oh man, like a run in the park that sort of gets a little bit competitive. And, but along the same lines, because I, I see I see KD especially kind of coming for the title. Oh, like, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I could see KD doing that. And I, I, and I see LeBron reacting to that. That's why I think this is going to be a good well, game. Be, I think this is going to be a competitive that's game. That's one. That's one way to if yeah if so if KD tries to engage in the hey remember before I got hurt I was coming for you and uh-huh, that's right I don't I don't know I just look with LeBron no AD there. I, I think he may say like okay but I don't but that that's an interesting thing to look for for sure. I would the way I could see this game playing out is very much like, remember the first Bucks game last year, the one in Milwaukee mm-hmm. where, yeah, where Giannis is doing this, right? 
where he where right but Giannis ain't no, KD, no, man. But, I'm like, saying, but but I'm just saying though that LeBron's reaction to that was not in that game where he's like oh like this matters to me on on mm. any big level mm-hmm. the next game it was oh Giannis yeah right you want to come for me guess what i'm taking the defensive matchup down down the stretch oh you want to defend me left wing i'm turning and facing and i'm ripping Mm -hmm. through your ass and i'm getting to the basket for a layup right you're the defensive player of the year stop it then right and so there is a certain amount of lebron of like I'm going to feel this out. And if KD comes, comes for blood, That's guess right. what? Like th- this is, this is year 10 or 12 of these dudes going toe to toe. Right. And LeBron has seen this dude in the finals. Would it surprise me if KD is sort of just like, I'm coming back and and I'm coming from, from mine. No, it wouldn't. It also wouldn't surprise me if LeBron is sort of just like, yeah, that's cute. It's February 19th. Yeah, congrats. Right? Like, congrats. Gets, yeah. You got your regular season win. Not only will we see y'all again in, in, in the second half of the season, but maybe we'll see y'all in early July too, right? And so, like, that and that mental game is the game that LeBron excels at, which is, like, like I'm not turning Thursday night on TNT into a fight for the Larry O'Brien trophy because that's not what I'm after, right? And, what, and that's not and, what it is. I don't need the props. I'm LeBron James. I've got four MVPs and will maybe win a fifth this season. I've got freaking four finals MVPs. Like, I'm untouchable. I'm on Mount Rushmore. He doesn't need to get into the mind game about this. I think that LeBron is much more like, ah, uh, yeah, let's compete. Let's play a hard game. Win or lose, I'm going to feel good about myself. And he's not going to take anything away from that extra. I don't, I don't envision that from, from LeBron James personally, but that's just my take. That, this this particular aspect I think is going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out. I think that it's going to bring some of that juice out of LeBron because it's, because it's KD, uh, but should be a, a lot of fun on, I, uh, I think Trez is going to be a big part of that game. I don't think they have anybody who can defend him. And, uh, but yeah, should be a fun game on Thursday. We'll be recording either that night or the the following morning. Um, but yeah, we're begun our trip without a without AD for a little while, and I think it's a really interesting opportunity. Really excited for this stretch of games up until the All Star break. So we'll be back in a couple more days. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. 
There's the move. Two, goal. This it's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.